Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Joshua chapter 9, the book of Joshua chapter 9. Now, look at what we've gone through already in the camp of Israel. Look at what we've seen so far. We've had victory um, that was Jericho. We have victory in Jericho. And then with Ai, there is defeat. Now, we know why there was defeat. It was because of sin in the camp, the choice of one man, Achan. You see, and then we have Ai, the second campaign, the surge, so to speak. Achan is gone. Achan has been addressed according to scripture and covenants and the rules of engagement of the old covenant. And then now in this second campaign, we have victory. You see, understand that Old Testament and New Testament, you know, once there is rightness with the Lord, once a person is right with the Lord, once a people is right with the Lord, we have victory. The opposite is true. When a person is not right with the Lord, when a people is not right with the Lord, when a church is not right with the Lord, we see defeat. It's so simple. It's really simple. Now, remember in our study in chapter 8, it's, you know, it's, you know, not that there's, you know, we, we have victory in IE, you know, Aiken's been taken care of. We have victory. Okay, thank you, God. Now I'm going to go party hardy. No, it's not like that. Because we get into chapter 8, remember our study from last week where we have post-victory, there's thankfulness unto the Lord and worship unto Him. Offerings made unto Him, blessings upon Israel by leadership. Joshua and the elders, the reading of the word. And Joshua was very, very careful to cover every single word. And so now we get into Joshua chapter 9. This is post-victory from Ai. Now remember, you see, I mean, just with one guy, Achan, loss, defeat. And so now you remember we have victory in Jericho, defeat in Ai, and then round two with Ai, we have victory again. Achan's been taken care of, and it's victory. It's so beautiful. Right with the Lord, victory. Not right with the Lord, defeat. It's, it's simple. That's That's... I mean, if, if you want it in its ultimate simplicity, that's it. When you're right with the Lord, victory. When you're not right with the Lord, defeat. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, 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 the overarching simplicity that we have in Christ. It's so beautiful. And when that's understood, it will help you not just to grow and mature in Christ, but as you, as we together move on to perfection, it will help us in our own battles. Not to suffer defeat, but for victory. And so here we are in chapter 9, the book of Joshua. And we see in verse 1, And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan. So remember, we've already crossed the Jordan. So now we're on the west side of the Jordan. And so it came to pass in verse 1, when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon. So you have kings of a lot of peoples and tribes. And we see here in verse 1, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it. Now, these kings, 
the, uh, the, the kings and the leadership of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites, they heard everything that Israel was doing. They heard that Israel was winning in battle. They know all about Jericho. They know all about Ai. And they see and they hear that Israel, they're winning. And so what happens to these kings? The kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they form a coalition. In verse 2, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. So now we see this confederacy that is formed against Joshua and Israel. You see, and not everybody is on board with this anti-Israel confederacy. The majority, yes. The majority of these peoples, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, these kings, they form a coalition. And the majority of peoples, the majority of, you know, the people that they lead over, the majority, they're on board. They're anti-Israel, anti-Joshua, the majority. But not everyone. Not everyone. We get into verse 3 now. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon, Gibeon, it's so beautiful because Gibeon, we, we, we discover through the scriptures that Gibeon was a town of Hittites. And that's from Joshua chapter 11, verse 19. Now give me an example of what we see happening here in this, these inhabitants of Gibeon. You know, for example, say, you know, I know we have listeners all over the world, but say, for example, we are all citizens of the same country. Now, I teach from America. So say, for example, we're all American citizens. All of us, every single one of us, we're all American citizens and we live in a town in Dubai. Okay, so say we're all American citizens and we live in a town uh, that we all live in Dubai. And, you know, say, for example, that we have a president, a United States president that is against Israel. You see the amping up of the BDS movement. You see the amping up of, you know, coalitions with uh, countries that are anti-Israel, the, the, all these countries that are growing that are anti-Israel. And just for example, say, you know, we're U.S. citizens. We live in Dubai and, you know, we see, we watch the news and we see that our president is grow- growing more and more against Israel with the BDS movement and, you know, and all kinds of different coalitions that are for- forming around the globe against Israel. Now, at that moment, You and me, remember, in this example, we're American citizens. And we live in Dubai. Now we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Are we going to be pro-home country? What our leadership says, the politicians say, what the president says. Or are we going to be pro-Israel? You see? And it's not a time to be neutral anymore. Those days are over. And that's what's happening here with Israel and Joshua and, you know, in, in the midst of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And then you have Gibeon, which they're, they're Hittites. And on top of that, you know, when we see that they're Hittites from Joshua chapter 11, verse 9, they're also 
Amorites. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 2. And then in also in, in Joshua 9, in verse 7, we see that they are Hivites. So already we see that in Gibeon, they're Hittites, they are Amorites, and then there are also Hivites. Kind of a mixed bag of Gentiles. And they all have their leaders. Remember, in verse 1, the, they're kings. Their kings form this coalition, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They form a coalition to fight against Joshua and Israel. They are anti-Israel. But from these peoples, they have their own separate town of Gibeon, a mixed bag of Gentiles, which they see, yes, you know, the, 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 the mainline king of the Hittites, the mainline king of the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They're against Joshua and Israel. They're against them. But this town of Gibeon, they have a choice to make. Are we going to be on board with these kings? Which of us in our communities, these kings that we have of our peoples, they're all on board. They're all against Israel. I mean, say, for example, you know, I gave you the example, you know, we're, we're U.S. citizens and we live in Dubai and, you know, the, the president of the United States is making all these choices against Israel. And, you know, in that same example, we have a choice to make. Are we going to be pro uh, uh, leadership of the U.S. or are we going to be pro-Israel? You see, we have a choice to make. Very important to understand, you know, in this example that, you know, we're U.S. citizens in Dubai, same exact thing with, you know, instead of Dubai, it's Gibeon. Instead of all of us being U.S. citizens, we all emanate from peoples that are Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And, we, you know, we're kind of like a mixed bag of Gentiles living in Gibeon. Now, prophetically speaking, there are a lot of similarities of what's going to happen in the last days. When the whole world is against Israel. A lot of similarities. Now, there are prophecies of certain countries that are going to, that are going to come to the aid of Israel. And these countries will further be identified as we get into the events of the 70th week. But pray for your leaders. You know, I teach from America. I'm not entirely fond of our present leadership, but pray, you know, I pray for him. Local leaders, pray for them. You might have a president, a king, a prime minister, wherever you are in the world, pray for your leaders. It's very important to see these similarities and these parallels because all the world, prophetically speaking, all the world is going to be against Israel. Now, there, you know, as mentioned earlier, there are certain prophecies where, you know, uh, certain nations will come to the aid of Israel. But by and large, the majority of the world will be against Israel. What do we see in the world today? What do we see at from Brussels? What do we see from the United Nations? What do we see from uh, 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 different 
global factions around the globe, you see the rise and the increase of the BDS movement. Anti-Israel. You see? And every single one of us, we're going to have to make a choice. Are we going to be pro-United Nations? Are we going to be pro-Brussels? Are we going to be pro-European Union? Are we going to be pro-Arab League? Are we going to be pro-whatever it is? Individual country? Are we going to be pro-country? Or are we going to be pro-Israel? And not just pro-Israel in a carnal sense. In this Old Testament example, it's Joshua and Israel. You see? We have to understand what the Bible says. And in this rise of the, with the Antichrist spirit and the rise of the Antichrist spirit and the increase of the Antichrist spirit paving the way for the revealing of the Antichrist, Things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Look what happens in this beautiful example. Through the history book of the book of Joshua. In verse 2, you have this coalition. The kings, they come against Israel. They form this coalition to be against Joshua and Israel with one accord. And the majority of the peoples, they're all on board. They saw, you know, they had their scouts. And, you know, they see that, wow, Israel, they took Jericho. Wow, Israel, they took Ai. And, oh, my goodness. And, you know, they're, they're coming. They're here. They're there. And here they are in their position. And, oh, my goodness, they're going to go. And, you know, individually, the Hittites, you know, they can't defeat. Individually, the Amorites, they can't defeat. Individually, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, they can't defeat. And so what do they do? They form a coalition. Okay, maybe all of us together. Maybe now we have a fighting chance against Israel. But then you have the inhabitants of Gibeon in verse 3. And when the inhabitants in verse 3, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. It translates here in the Hebrew, they worked craftily, craftily as strategically and with discretion. And they went and pretended to be ambassadors. They went and pretended to be, they went and uh, 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 had this, uh, 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 presented themselves as messengers of an official is how it translates in the Hebrew. And they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on old donkeys. or <laughs> And they took old sacks on their donkeys. Old wineskins, torn and mended. In verse 5, old and patched sandals on their feet. And old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Look at these five things. You have old sacks, old wineskins, old sandals, old garments, and old bread. See, very interesting what we see happening here. In this mixed bag of Gentiles that lived in Gibeon, when everyone is coalescing against Israel, these Gentiles exercise discretion, which in the Hebrew also translates as wisdom. As a little side note, Gibeonites will in the future be persecuted and killed by Saul. 
but then also saved by David. Very interesting what we see among the Gibeonites, a mixed bag of Gentiles. Which in the future, not to get ahead of ourselves here, but when we get into further books of the Old Testament, they're going to be persecuted and killed by Saul, but then saved by David. As another side note, Gibeon translates as a cup. Cup. You know, a cup, just a vessel for water or wine. Another side note, this is the first encounter with Gibeon. The first mention of Gibeon in the Bible. And there's no new items. In this first encounter, this first mention of Gibeon, we have old sacks, not new sacks. Old wineskins, not new wineskins. Old sandals, not new sandals. Old garments, not new garments. Old bread, not new bread. Just something to keep in mind. You have this group of Gentiles. When all their leadership is against Joshua and Israel, they have a choice to make. Are we going to be on board? Are we going to align with the kings of our peoples? Or are we going to align with Joshua and Israel? You see, they have a choice to make. And they worked craftily. With discretion also translates as wisdom. And these messengers and ambassadors in verse 6. And they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal. Remember Gilgal? 12 stones, 24 stones. 12 and 12, 12 outside the water, 12 inside the water. Remember? So these messengers, they go to Joshua in verse 6 and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Verse 7, then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. Translates as, Perhaps you dwell near us or in the midst of us. So how can we make a covenant with you? Remember, this is the, the men of Israel who ask in verse 7, the men of Israel, they were the ones that asked this question. And then the messengers respond in verse 8. But they said, to Joshua, we are your servants. Look at what's happening so far. You have this anti-Israel coalition. The Leaders of these peoples, the leaders of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But then there's this little town, this little offshoot of towns called Gibeon. And Gibeon and the, the town of Hittites and Amorites and Hivites. But they're also in the valley of decision because they have a choice to make. Are we going to align ourselves with this coalition that is against Israel? Or are we going to be pro-Israel? And so they go to Joshua. Make a covenant with us. You see? 
make a covenant with us. These mixed bag of Gentiles, Gibeonites, they desire to make covenant not with the coalition that is against Israel, but they desire to make covenant with Joshua. In verse 8, they said to Joshua, the people, the men of Israel, in verse 7, they asked, you know, how can we make a covenant with you? And then they respond, to Joshua. Not to the men of Israel. They respond to Joshua. And they say, we are your servants. You see? Also keep in mind, that they, with their old wineskins. From a town named Cup. Gibeon. Which is a vessel for water and wine. Little cup. You see? And they say to Joshua, we're your servants. And Joshua said to them in verse 8, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him in verse 9, From a far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan who was at Ashtaroth. You see, these Gibeonites, this mixed bag of Gentiles, they have an awareness of what God has done from 40 years ago. Beyond the Jordan, on the other side of the Jordan. Remember, we're west of the Jordan now. But they have an awareness of what historically has happened in the last 40 years. Because they straight up say, you know, in in verse 9, We're from a very far country. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. That was 40 years ago. And all that he did in Egypt. In verse 11, these ambassadors are still speaking. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country, Gibeon, mixed bag of Gentiles. In verse 11 says, spoke to us saying take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them we are your servants now therefore make a covenant with us this bread of ours in verse 12 we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed for 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 we in verse 12 this bread of ours we took hot for our provision provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. Now remember that there's discretion and strategy involved here. You know, from you know let's put things in proper perspective here. You know, there's a new sheriff in town, so to speak. There's a new sheriff in town, it's Israel. And Israel is inheriting the land. They're on war footing. Israel, they're on war footing. The posture of Israel is combat and warfare. And these Gibeonites, all the surrounding peoples, I mean, all the surrounding peoples, they know, I mean, when Egypt is considered Almighty, when Pharaoh is considered almighty, when Pharaoh is considered God on earth, and then all of a sudden, it's just like that, no more. Humbled. Humbled to the point of being nothing. 
Consider the surrounding peoples. They have a choice to make. Just like, you know, we get, we've given previous examples where, you know, you and me, we get in a time machine and we're Canaanites. You and me, we get in a time machine and we're Hittites, we're Hivites. You see, we have a choice to make. Are we going to stay Canaanites with our Baals and Asterisks and Moleks? Are we going to stay Jebusites and Amorites and Moabites or under, you know, understanding that those gods do have power. Molek, you know, Baal, Asherah, they do have power. But they are not almighty. They are not all-powerful. The almighty one, the all-powerful one, the sovereign, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the God of Israel. Now, picture that example where, you know, we're, we're Jebusites, we're Hittites, we're Canaanites. Now, at that moment... We acknowledge that, yes, there's power with Baal, there's power with Moloch, but they're, they're nothing compared to the Almighty. And you and me, we make our choice, okay? We're done here. We're going to go and align ourselves to the God of Israel, and we're going to go to their camp. Don't forget that there's provisions in the law, provisions, statutes, for you and me to be grafted in. You see? You see, individuals do that. You see, I mean, look at Rahab. Look at uh, uh, um, Jethro. You see? But then now, look at Gibeon. How beautiful is it to see Gibeon? And they say to Joshua, we've heard of the fame of your Lord. What he did to Egypt, what he did, you know, 40 years ago. And they remember. Now, the kings of these other peoples, they also know. Except instead of bowing down to the God of Israel, no, they form this coalition against Israel. You see? And so all of a sudden, these ambassadors speaking to Joshua, these ambassadors of, uh, of, of Gibeon speaking to Joshua, they say, you know, therefore make a covenant with us at the end of verse 11 and verse 12. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it's dry and moldy. Remember, they're exercising a little strategy here. Discretion. Now, this is according to the flesh according to the flesh very important because when we don't understand the old testament and you understand how the, the you see the flesh of the old testament you know a lot of strategy and you know uh, uh discretion and you know a certain uh 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 cunning aspect of behaviors that you know to uh, 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 you know, you see this in the Old Testament, but then also understand that in the New Testament, the Spirit guides. The Spirit leads. I mean, strategy as New Covenant believers is humility before the Lord. And it's the Lord who guides. You see? Not to suggest that the Lord isn't guiding in the Old Testament. It's just a different framework of covenants, a different framework of testaments. Just like we understand rules of engagement of the old, rules of engagement of the new, we also understand conduct according to the old, conduct according to the new. 
You know, just like with Abraham, before the Ten Commandments, pre-law, that his obedience to what the Lord told him, it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's before the law. Yes, there was righteousness outside of the law. You see, look at Abraham. Look at Noah. You see? Look at Enoch. And so we see what happens here in verse 13. And these wineskins which we filled were new. And see, they are torn. And these are garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. You see, nothing, nothing new. They didn't have new wineskins. They didn't have new sandals. They didn't have new garments. No, they brought the old. They brought the old. Now, in verse 14, then the men of Israel took some of their provision, provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. You see, the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Very interesting what we see happening here in verse 14. Very interesting. In this moment of disobedience by not asking the counsel of the Lord, a door was opened to this mixed bag of Gentiles, the Gibeonites, who fear the Lord with their old wineskins. Does this sound familiar? As new covenant believers, does this sound familiar? That in this moment of disobedience by not asking counsel of the Lord, that this door is open to these Gibeonites who are a mixed bag of Gentiles and they fear the Lord. They've heard of what the Lord has done 40 years prior to Egypt. In verse 14, remember, the men of Israel did not ask counsel from the Lord. It's the men of Israel who did not ask counsel from the Lord. And now we see in verse 15, so Joshua, not the men of Israel. See, in verse 14, it's the men of Israel. It's them that didn't ask the counsel of the Lord. And so Joshua now in verse 15, he made peace with them. He made shalom, shalom to the mixed bag of Gentiles who fear the Lord. It's Joshua. As new covenant believers, understanding that Joshua as a type of Christ and a moment of disobedience, a door became open to Gentiles who fear the Lord. You see? Nothing new under the sun. And so here in verse 15, so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. You see, Israel didn't seek God. Joshua made a covenant with them. Does that sound familiar? 
and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. You see? The rulers of the congregation swore to them in honor of this covenant and Joshua making peace with them. It's the rulers of the people, rulers of Israel, and they made this, they, they swore to them. And then look what happens here in verse 16. And it happened at the end of three days. Shalosh, shalosh, shelosha, shelosha in the Hebrew in a season of time. And it happened at the end of three days in this season of time after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. In this season of time of three, because you know, at the end of three days, Israel discovers that these Gentiles aren't very far from them at all. They discover, wait a second, these Gibeonites, they're not, they're not that far at all. And they discovered it after three days after they had made covenant with them. And so we see in verse 17, then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kefirah, Be'eroth. And Kirjath Jerim. You know what that, how those translate? Cup, young lion, well, like a well of water, and guarded city. That's how the, that's how the towns translate. Gibeon, Hefirah, Beroth, and Kirjath Jerim. Cup, young lion, well, as like a well of water, and guarded city. Very interesting what we see among these Gibeonites, this mixed bag of Gentiles. Now, more can be said on this, but we'll table that for another season. Look at what we see happening. I mean, to give you an example, I teach from America. Say, for example, we're all in Pasadena, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. Every single one of us, we're in a camp. And we're in Pasadena, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. And we meet these peoples and we make a covenant with the, their messengers. And they tell us that they're from San Francisco and they're, you know, journeying on foot. We're also journeying on foot. We're in Pasadena, Southern California, suburb of Los Angeles. We're in Pasadena. We make covenant with these people, these messengers. And then we, they say that they're from San Francisco. And that we, when we meet them, you know, they're with their old wineskins, old sandals, old clothes. And we make covenant with them. And then we part ways and we figure, okay, it's going to be, you know, we might not see them again. But if we see them again, it's going to be a long, 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 long ways away. And so we pack up our stuff. We, you know, we say goodbye to these peoples that we make covenant with. We figure, okay, it'll, it's going to be a while before we see them. You know, we're in, we're in Pasadena. They're going to make their journey to San Francisco and we're not going to see them again. And all of a sudden we start journeying and walking and walking and walking. We get to Altadena, which is the next town over from Pasadena. And lo and behold, <laughs> we see the people. We're like, what, what are you doing here? We thought we were never going to see. We thought if we did see, it would be long ways away that you would be on your journey all the way up to Frisco, San Francisco. 
And here we are in the next town over and we see you guys. You see? Remember, in their old wineskins, old wineskins, old wineskins, old sandals, old bread, old sacks, in that oldness, they exercised carnal strategy with old wineskins. But yet, as New Covenant believers, we have a deeper understanding, not with old wineskins, with new wineskins. Carnal strategy need not apply. Cannot apply. And so we see in verse 18, you know, instead of, you know, the, the Gibeonites, they thought like, wow, you know, what, what are you guys doing here? We thought you live far away. And then all of a sudden they realize that in verse 16, that they were in fact neighbors who dwelt near them. The children of Israel in verse 17 came to, into their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kephirah, Beroth, and Kirjath Jerim, which is cup, young lion, well, like a well of water. And guarded city. Verse 18. But the children of Israel did not attack them. Did not attack them. Because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, remember our study. If you've been walking with us for a while. Remember our studies through Leviticus and Numbers. And we see how God sees vows and covenants. See, it's a big deal, very serious. And so the children of Israel, because they made a covenant, because they made a vow, and because this, uh, 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 you know, the, the, uh, the rulers of the congregation swore to them and Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them. Now the children of Israel, they do not attack. Because in verse 18, the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers, murmured and complained against the rulers. You see? Oh, but, you know, Joshua, we thought that they were, we thought that they were far away. And look, they're right here. They lied to us. Hey, rulers, elders, why did you make covenant? We thought that they were far away and they're right here, these Gibeonites, these Gentiles, this mixed bag of Gentiles. They tricked us. And they start to murmur and complain against the leaders, the rulers. In verse 19, then all the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them. See, like we made an oath. We made an oath. We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live. Lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. See, remember, this is second generation Israel. This is a first generation Israel. First generation Israel they're dead, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. You know, a type of Christ and a type of Holy Spirit entering the promised land and not alone with the people. 
When you listen to our prior studies in Joshua and listen to our prior studies from, you know, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, you'll understand much deeper. This second generation Israel, they fear the Lord. They fear the Lord. Now, you know, we had an issue with Achan, but Achan's been taken care of now. I'm not just saying that like in jest or loosely. Achan's been taken care of. But remember, as a result of his choice, there were casualties. Wives without husbands, kids without dads. Israel took casualties because of the sin of one man. But Achan's been taken care of now. This isn't first generation Israel. This is second generation Israel under the leadership and understand that leadership matters under the leadership of Joshua and beautiful elders. And under that leadership, things are safe for them. You see? But they still have moments of disobedience, like we see in verse 14, in the moment of disobedience, how the door is open to Gentiles now. Not just any Gentile. Gentiles who fear the Lord. Gibeonites. And so when Israel, they start to murmur and complain, oh, they lied to us. Joshua, elders, they lied to us. How can we honor this covenant? It's not about honoring. I mean, it is about honoring that covenant because the covenant is before the Lord. It's honoring the covenant before the Lord. That Remember, that's one transaction. But then there's a tra- transaction of Gibeonites unto the, you know, in, in the covenant. There's a transaction of Gibeon unto the contract, in the contract unto the Lord. But then don't forget the Israel side. Israel in contract, but under the Lord, honoring the oath, understanding how the Lord sees oaths, understand how the Lord sees vows. The congregation, they murmur and complain like, look, you know, they, they, they tricked us. So let's kill them. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way because of, because of the oath. Because of what they swore to them. Because of the covenant that, remember, the men of Israel, in verse 14, they did not ask counsel of the Lord. And it was Joshua who made covenant, who made peace. We see Joshua as a type of Christ. Who makes covenant with Gentiles? Who makes peace with Gentiles? Who fear the Lord? You see? In verse 18, at the end, we see all the congregation complained against the rulers. They murmur and complain against the rulers. But as new covenant believers, we remember Romans 11, how grace and mercy comes to the Gentiles. Because of covenant through Jesus, making peace in Jesus to Gentiles who fear the Lord. And it's to provoke Israel to jealousy. Now, sometimes when I talk with people, it's like, well, why would God do that to provoke to jealousy? And I like to give the example with two kids. Say you have two kids and, you know, one is more receptive than the other. And, you know, the other, you want to come near you, but they're a little obstinate and they don't come near you. And so what do you do? You know, you, you know, 
have a, a piece of candy for the one who's more receptive and the one who's more respect, receptive comes to you. And then the other one who's not as receptive, maybe a little bit more obstinate, is provoked to jealousy. And now this other one is no longer in the distance. Now he comes closer and closer and closer to you. You see? And now you have the two together. You have one that is not as receptive, maybe a little bit more obstinate. And the other who is very receptive, not as obstinate. And now you have the two together. And sometimes people don't understand that of both Jew and Gentile. It's not to provoke to jealousy like, you know, like, you know, uh, 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 like in a, in a, uh, in a sense of wickedness. Because I've also talked to non-believers and even mockers of the last, in the last days. And these mockers, they say, oh, you know, they, they got, he's, he's, they, they use, they, they describe him as if he's human. They describe him as if, you know, like he's, you know, they, they, you know, oh, he's, uh, self-centered. He's this. It's like, well, let's not even think that way. But understand that example, like with two kids, it's so simple. Just like with two kids. You got two kids, obstinate, you know, one that is more obstinate, less receptive. And then one that is very receptive and less obstinate. And you want both of them to be right near you. That's what you want. You want both of them right near you, except you cannot have that because you can have it with one, but you can't have it with the other because that other is a little obstinate. Maybe a couple more tap taps than the other. So you bring out a little cookie. Hey, cookie. Or, hey, kid, here's a cookie. Hey, son, baby girl, here's a cookie. You know, the one who's more receptive comes to you. Starts eating the cookie. The obstinate one sees it and is provoked to jealousy. Oh, I want a cookie too. Now, because I want a cookie too, now I'll come. And so now look, from the perspective of the parent, now both are right there, right near. And that's what the Lord does to the Gentiles, to provoke to jealousy, so that both Jew and Gentile can be near him in intimacy with him, both Jew and Gentile. You see? So that so that the Lord can make peace and have covenant, have intimacy. Now, the covenant is already in place. The covenant is already in place. The question is, you and me, are we in covenant with him? You see, the covenant is already there and the covenant has an opening. Do we enter in? You see, when you believe in Jesus Christ, a soul enters in, a person enters in. But don't forget, a person can also be seduced and deceived to exit. That can't happen. It it does happen. But the Bible teaches us how it happens. Because when you exit Jesus, remember, he's the one who says, abide in me. No period. He says, abide in me and I in you. When a person exits Jesus Christ, that's not good. Because now they're under the law. And to be under the law, there's no safety when a person is under the law. There is only judgment when a person is under the law. 
Now, the law, there are mechanisms in place to using the law to bring a person back to Christ. But for one who has been in Christ, for them to be in Christ again, that is very difficult. I mean, that's when we get into Hebrews 6 territory. The re-crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which cannot be done. The Bible says it is impossible to restore such a one. Very dangerous ground when a person exits Christ for them to come into Christ again. There are circumstances and instances where it does happen and it is possible. But when a person is abiding in Christ, once they leave, that's dangerous ground to be on. Because the law which brings people into Christ... When a person starts to ignore the law, that's when their heart gets harder. And it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. And then it turns to stone. That's not good. And so now we see the children of Israel, the men of Israel, the congregation of Israel, they murmur and complain against the rulers. And in verse 19, all the rulers said to the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest the wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, in verse 21, let them live. But, Let them be woodcutters and water carriers. Very interesting. We'll let them live. But let them be woodcutters and water carriers. Now, water carriers were almost always female. They would either go to the river for water or they would go to a well for water. Woodcutters? Just like carpenters. Very interesting what we see here. In verse 21, when the rulers say, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers. What do we see here? We see carpenter and woman at the well. Carpenter and woman at the well. If you're Jewish and you're listening, if you're Talmudic and you're listening, 12 and 12, 24 stones, 12 stones outside the Jordan, 12 stones inside the Jordan. And if you're Talmudic, 9 before 10 to those who have ears. Look in this beautiful chapter what we see. Now, I speak as a new covenant believer because I'm a Christian. But if you're listening and you're like, you know, you're not a Christian, not a believer, or, you know, maybe you're Jewish, maybe you're Talmudic, maybe maybe you're you're a, 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 a rabbi. The law testifies. The Old Testament testifies. The, 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 the law of Moses testifies of Jesus, Son of the Most High, Messiah. And so the rulers in verse 21, they're the ones that say, let them live, but let, let them be woodcutters and water carriers. Now, if, if, if you're Jewish, if you're Talmudic, if you're rabbi, if you're just a non-believer, be unbelieving no more. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you come to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. 
very important. Because the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, shouts all these things that we see. Here in the book of Joshua, we see carpenter and woman at the well. Woodcutters and water carriers. And in the life of Jesus, you see his very life is not just an example of Old Testament truths, but his life is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant, the law of Moses. Remember when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees, oh, we're hardcore, you know, we, we follow Moses. And Jesus says, how can you? How can you? Because Moses wrote about me. You see? And so the rulers, speaking of this mixed bag of Gentiles who will serve them, it's in verse 21, for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua in verse 22 called for them. And he spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us saying we are very far from you when you dwell near us? Just like the example we gave earlier, you know, we're in Pasadena and we we expect not, not to see them again. We expect maybe to see them like way into the future because you know they they're on their way to san francisco and you know it's gonna be a while but then we take a couple days journey we're in altadena and boom here they are what are you guys doing here you see we thought you were gonna be far away but here you are it's only been three days and here you are and joshua says why have you deceived us saying we are very far from you when you dwell near us in verse 23 now therefore you are cursed you are cursed I mean, put yourself in the, in the, in the sandals of the Gibeonites when they hear Joshua say, you are cursed. Oh my goodness, Joshua, their leader, the, the leader of Israel, and we fear their God, and we entered into covenant with them, and, you know, we fear, and he's the one who's saying, you are cursed. What's this curse going to be? What's this curse going to look like? He says in verse 23, now therefore you are cursed and none of you shall be freed. Oh my goodness. Okay, so we know that we're cursed. Now we know that, you know, we, none of us shall be freed. What's this curse? What is the entirety of this curse going to be? He says, you are cursed. None of you shall be freed from being slaves. Translates in the Hebrew as bond servants. So now let's put this in perspective. What is this going to look like? We're not going to be freed from being slaves. We're going to be bond servants forever. And he says in verse 23, none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. Woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. I mean, at the very beginning of verse 23, you know, you are cursed. I mean, put yourself in the Gibeonite shoes. Like the shock, like, oh my goodness, like, we're cursed. What, what, what's the curse? You can hear, a, you can hear a, a pin drop. What's the curse going to look like? And he says, none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. You know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. Remember, we fear we fear the God of Israel. We're Gibeonites. We fear the God of Israel. 
I mean, in this example, we're Gibeonites. We fear the God of Israel, you know, and, and Joshua is saying, you know, one of very few, one of two of the first generation, Joshua and Caleb, one of two. And he's the one who's saying, you're cursed. None of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers from the house of my God. I'll take it. You see, servanthood has a very bad rap, which is understandable because historically speaking, it has been bad. It hasn't been so pretty. But, I mean, does not appetite unto servanthood depend on the master? Depends on the master. What happens when the master is Jesus? You see, a lot of times among saints, there's heavy emphasis on serving the Lord and being a servant of the Lord, which is good. It's not a bad thing. But heavy, heavy emphasis on servanthood unto the Lord, which isn't a bad thing at all. But there's more. You remember when Jesus was speaking to the disciples and every moment prior, you know, you are my servant, you are my servants, you are my servants. But then we get further deeper as they grow and mature in their understanding as disciples. And then Jesus says to them, no longer do I call you disciples, but I call you my friends. No longer do I call, not my disciples, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you my friends because servants don't know what the master is doing. And just like we give in, you know, multiple examples, and this has been said before, and I'll say it again. Say you and me are servants. You and me were servants in a master's house. We're brand new. It's day one of you and me serving as servants. I do the cooking, you do the cleaning. Okay, so, like you know, the master wakes up in the morning. I prepare a nice breakfast for him. And, you know, you arrange the table in a certain way. You got the, the you know, the rug is all nicely placed. The chair is all nicely placed. And he sits down to eat, and then all of a sudden you see him moves things around. You know, he moves the a little vase of flowers, and he moves the salt and pepper over here. He puts his glass on the other side of the plate. And, you know, he puts his, you know, just his little nuances. You know, you 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 you, you put a, a rug over here, and, you know, you see him move the rug. And it's, you know, all these different nuances. And then all of a sudden you see him, you know... He sprinkles salt and pepper. You see him, you know, pick out little things that, you know, I made the breakfast. You know, so he starts picking out all these things. It's day one, we're servants. But after a week, after two weeks, after a month, after two months, you see him walk. He sits down and he doesn't adjust anything. He doesn't adjust anything, the rugs in place. He doesn't move the glass to the other side. You know why? Because you've learned his ways. 
He doesn't add salt and pepper. He doesn't take out certain things because I never put them there. I did before when I didn't know him. But now that I know him, I know what he likes. I know his, his taste buds, what he likes, what he doesn't like. Now, I don't even incorporate those things that he doesn't like. I made a nice meal. You see him. He doesn't add the salt. He doesn't add the pepper. He doesn't put a little sprinkle of this, a little sprinkle of that. No, he eats it and he loves it. And so one day he says to you and me, he says, you know what? Why don't you join me for this meal? Join me for this meal. And we're like shocked. Like, no, in every other household, servants are not treated the way our master treats us. In every other household, masters are cruel to their slaves masters are cruel to their servants they beat them you know there's all kinds of different you know uh, you know whatever they're cruel you know they get treated they get talked down to but our master he says pull up a chair join me for this meal I mean, we're, we're servants. That's why I say, you know, a lot of Christians, they place heavy emphasis on servanthood unto Jesus, which is fine. It's good. It's not a bad thing. It's good. But it's much deeper. Because at some point, I mean, hopefully, servants can become friends. Remember, Abraham was a friend of God. Jesus says to the disciples, I don't call you servants anymore. You're friends because servants don't wonder what the master is doing. Servants know. Understanding his nature, his character. And we study the word of God, understanding the nature and character of our Lord so we can have a deeper understanding of him. Also understanding that the word became flesh. That's why sometimes, you know, people say, well, I think God, whenever I hear somebody say, I think God, and then they say, would do this or wouldn't do that. When I hear somebody say, I think God, and then they fill in the blank of whatever they think God would do. Immediately, it's a quick analyzation of their life, of their fruit. You see works of the flesh in their life. And they speak, well, I think God, it's like, okay, that's nice. In one ear, out the other, I'm not going to accept it. Because I mean, look at, look at your life. You see somebody who's like a sex head, they do their drugs, they do their crack, they go gambling, they do Buddha, they worship Mary, they do their whatever they do, the occult, the Ouija boards, and then they speak and they, I think God, I don't accept it. In one ear, out the other. I don't accept it at all. Because you look at the fruit. But then in looking at the fruit, and you see the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, when they speak, it's a different ballgame. Because they speak, and the proof is in the pudding, in a good way. And in the other way, the proof is in the pudding, in a bad way. That's some nasty pudding. Don't eat it. 
Somebody, I think God would. I think God says. I think God wouldn't do. I think it's like, that's nice. I mean, you look at the fruit, proof is in the pudding. That's some nasty pudding. I'm not going to accept it. They might say, oh, yeah, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. And then you're like, you look at the fruit and I thought, oh, that's, you know, that you might call yourself a servant of the Lord, but I don't, you know, that's, that's kind of a defunct servant. Because where does the master permit the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Buddha, the Ouija boards, Mary, all kinds? Where does our master permit that? In the Bible, you won't find it. So you can call yourself a servant all you want till you're blue in the face, but I don't see servanthood. Just call it like I see it. You know, that's it. I'm not trying to be mean. Just call it like I see it. But then you see something different where somebody says, I think God. And then you look at the fruit and it's like, wow, this is proof is in the pudding. It's beautiful fruit. And they don't say, I I think God or I don't think. They just straight up say, this is what the Lord desires. This is what is pleasing to the Lord. Who in the world has the authority in audacity to even say that? Oh, yeah, this is pleasing to the Lord. This is not pleasing to the Lord. You know who? Friends of God. Friends of God. A lot of Christians never move beyond the point of servant. I mean, it, it, you know, very few call themselves, or, or the most, the majority call themselves servants. But of that majority, few are actually servants. Now, of that few, few become friends. You see, where friends, they don't wonder. You know, Lord, I wonder what you're doing. Lord, I wonder what you're doing. Lord, I wonder what this is going to look like. Lord, I wonder if you like this. Lord, I wonder if you don't like this. Lord, I wonder this. I wonder this. But when you're a friend of God, you don't wonder. Just like the example, you know, our master, you and me, we're servants. You, you, you clean, I cook. The master comes into the room. He's not moving things around. He's not moving the furniture. He's not moving. He's not dusting. He's not moving the rug over here. He's not putting his glass on this side when you put it over here. It might have happened on day one. It might have happened on day two. It might have happened on week one, month one. But in the course of time, that no longer happens. Why? Because it's not our master aligning to us. It's us aligning to him. He is the master. And when we align to him, we understand him. As servants. And then one day our master says, you know what? Pull up a chair. eats with us. Have a meal with me. Let's eat. And it's not an awkward environment. We're laughing. He's asking us questions about our lives. He's very intimate with us. It's not like an awkward, like we're sitting at the table and we're looking at each other, like scared, like, oh my goodness, the master is there. And, you know, and this isn't just a run of the mill master. He is Lord of everything. 
and he's inviting us to his table. And we're not just at his table. He's like, we're like laughing. And he's laughing too. And we're having a beautiful, beautiful moment of time. And then he says to us, you know what? You know, you guys were servants and, you know, you served well as servants, but I don't call you servants anymore. You know why? Because you're my friends. Whoa. You see how the levels of depth and then there's another level of depth from servant to friend and then finally to bride. (laughs) You see? To bride. That's deep. Married to the master. And a lot of times in the faith, emphasis is placed on servanthood, 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 which is good. I'm not trying to say that it's bad. But I am trying to say is that it's much deeper. And so now, I mean, put yourselves in the Gibeonite sandals for a moment. And in verse 23, none of you shall be freed from being bondservants, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. Now, as new covenant believers, we have an understanding of the depths of being a bondservant unto Christ. The levels of depths as servant, friend, and bride. And when I say servant, friend, and bride, it's not like all one. And when I say servant, friend, and bride, I'm speaking about levels of depth. Surface level being servant. And an even deeper friend. And even deeper still, bride. You see, as New Covenant believers, we read this in verse 23. It's like, oh my goodness, that's not, that's not bad at all. I'll take it. And so these Gentile Gibeonites, they respond in verse 24. So they answered Joshua, because your servants were clearly told. Now, these Gibeonites. In the Hebrew, when he says, you know, because your servants were clearly told, it translates that these Gibeonites were clearly told. They were exposed to a report, a declaration, a prediction. It was professed to them and it was told to them. And I love this. I wonder who these heralders are. 
I wonder who these proclaimers in Gibeon preparing the people for such a time as this. I wonder who they were. In verse 24, the Gibeonites, they answered Joshua. And they say, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Whoever these messengers in Gibeon, whoever these heralders in Gibeon, whoever they were, I'm so in love with them because they taught the Gibeonites to fear the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. These heralders in Gibeon, they taught their people to fear the Lord. This mixed bag of Gentiles. You see? Don't forget that they said, the Gibeonites, they told Joshua and the people that we heard about Egypt. So whoever these heralders were in Gibeon, they feared the Lord. This mixed bag of Gentiles, they Hittites, Hivites, and uh, Amorites. And yes, they have their kings who are alike people. But there's something different about the Gibeonites because they have their own little town, Gibeon. You see? Just like you and me. We have our own little town. Yes, we have different leaders according to the flesh. Yes, we have different presidents and prime ministers and kings and, you know, different leaders according to the flesh, different politicians according to the flesh. A mixed bag of Gentiles. Now, assuming you're Gentile, if you're Jewish, you know, praise the Lord. But if you're not Jewish, you know, praise the Lord still. Remember the uh, Romans 11? Two kids in that example. One's a little bit more obstinate, the one's less obstinate. One's less receptive, the other's more receptive. And the objective is for the parent to have both. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, intimacy with the Lord. Oneness with him. Just like today, this mixed bag of Gentiles today. That we have our kings and presidents and leaders and all kinds of different things. Prophetically speaking, in the majority of our lands, there will be a coalition against Israel. As surely as the Lord lives, there will be a coalition against Israel. A coalition just like we see here in Joshua, but a coalition that is already forming in these last days. 
the Gibeonites, they made their choice. These beautiful heralders who teach, hey, you know, yes, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Moabites, the Jebusites, they have their gods, they have their Molechs, they have their Baals, and yes, there's power behind them, but that's nice. They are not almighty. Because the Most High is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. The Most High is the God of Israel. You see? Now, this is Gibeon with old wineskins. Remember, they came with old wineskins. You see? New wineskins? Not according to flesh, according to spirit. Gentiles today, just like with Gibeon, make peace and make covenant with not Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. You see? And so we continue in verse 24. We see, so they answered these Gentiles, the Gibeonites. They answered Joshua and say, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he said to them, this is Joshua. So he said to them, so he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel. Remember the Israel, they wanted to kill him. They murmured and complained. Why, you know, they, they, they lied to us instead of being in San Francisco. Here they are in Altadena. We thought we weren't going to see them. And if we did see them, it'd be long, you know, many moons into the future. But no, here they are right here in our midst. They lied to us when they came with their, you know, they, they faked it. Their, their old wineskins and it's, it's not like a, 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 a two-month journey. It's just like a three-day journey. If they had new wineskins, they'd still be new. If they had old sandals, if they had new, new sandals, three days journey, they'd still be new. But they faked it. You see? And then the rulers, no, no, we made an oath to the Lord. We must honor that oath. Lest the Lord be against us. Remember how the Lord takes oaths. You see? And so Joshua in verse 26 he delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. Remember, this is, you say that they did not kill them. Don't forget, Israel is in war footing, you know. They're in battle mode. They're in fight mode. They're in, and, and God told them, all these lands, it's for you. You will inherit these. It's not because of your awesomeness. It's not because you're awesome. Remember our study in Deuteronomy? It's because of their wickedness. And yes, as a result of wickedness, judgment is coming to these lands except through the fear of the Lord, which was taught by the heralders in Gibeon. Now there's safety for Gibeon. 
who made peace with Joshua. Shalom, shalom, and covenant with Joshua. You see? This is Israel in war footing. And Israel in war footing, their safety for Rahab and those in her home in Jericho. And there's safety for Gibeon, a mixed bag of Gentiles. You see? And so we get into verse 27 in closing. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and the and for the altar of the Lord. Remember, which is holy, the altar of the Lord, in the place which he would choose. It's God's choosing. Even to this day. Now, if you're listening, if you're listening, you're Jewish, you're Talmudic, I love you. And sometimes I have these conversations with Jews. And they, oh, but look, they tricked Israel. They tricked Israel. But let me ask you a question. If you're Jewish, and if you think, but the Gibeons, they did these things on false pretense. They tricked us. Do you remember when Isaac blessed first not Esau, but Jacob. How did that come about? Of the Gibeonites. But they lied. They broke the law. Which law did they break? Which law did the Gentiles know? You see, in execution of the law, the statutes, and the commands, a door became open to these Gentiles through the disobedience of Israel in not seeking the Lord. And because the men of Israel did not seek the Lord, what happened? Joshua made peace with these Gentiles. This land... All this land as inheritance to Israel. From the river to the sea, Israel. From the river to the sea, Israel. From the river to the sea, Israel. And in her midst, Gentiles. Gibeon. A cup. For 40 years, even when Israel didn't fear the Lord. Remember, for 40 years. Remember the golden calf? Remember the wilderness? The wilderness with Korah? The judgment of Korah? For 40 years, even when Israel didn't fear the Lord. In those moments of time when Israel did not fear the Lord. There were heralders in Gibeon. Teaching the people to fear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whose name was changed to Israel. The God of Israel. 
who is almighty, the most high. Now, if you're Jewish, understand that I love you. You may feel provocation in the audacity of my words, which is understandable. But it's also prophetic. Romans 11. These things were written of old for our examples. If you're Jewish, I desire you to believe in Jesus and be born again. That's what I desire. And if you're Jewish, you're listening and you want to commit your life to Christ, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ, you come back and you listen. I mean, I desire that for Jew or Gentile. But if you're Jewish, I want you to be born again. I can't force that on, on anybody. And this will probably further provoke you. But I was born first. Born again. I don't say that in regard to birthright. Because it is written, the first shall be last. to the congregation of Israel. It is you that supports me. The branch doesn't support the root. And I don't say these things to with the intent of provocation according to the flesh. But in these very words, I fully understand that there is provocation. And we have these Old Testament examples, just like the men of Israel. You know, they murmur and complain, how dare they, these Gibeonites, they tricked us. But they made covenant with Joshua. They made shalom, shalom with Joshua. I'm going to reread verse 27 a little different. And that day, verse 27, I'm going to read it a little different. And that day, Yeshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation, for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. And I'll say it again, even to this day. To all the congregation of Israel, I say this. Drink of this cup and never thirst again. It is living water. The Old Testament testifies of Jesus, Son of the Most High, Messiah, who will come again. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.